Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being our teacher this morning. We thank you, Lord, for sending the Spirit of your Son, Lord, to dwell in our hearts and also to instruct us and to teach us of the Lord. So, Lord, we pray that you would now teach us and lead us as we open your book. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, Matthew 2, 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We have seen, for we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered together all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. All right, so now we saw here we, in the first chapter of this book, we saw that the Lord was the branch that grew out of the stock of the root of Abraham and then King David. And that showed us who his own were. His own were the Jewish people. And that was all introduced to us in the first part of, a, of verse 1 in chapter 1 that were explained to us, this is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. And then we had the next section in, in chapter 1, which started in the 18th verse, where it introduced to us the circumstances around his birth when it started off by saying, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. And we saw then that there was this very tense relationship between his mother Mary, or Miriam, and his stepfather, Joseph, because Joseph just didn't believe her. He didn't believe that she was with child of the Holy Ghost. But we saw how God stepped in. He intervened. And that started for us this new section. And now we've come to chapter 2, which is, which is a new section, which is the actual birth itself. The birth itself. And so it starts off with these words in, in verse 1. Now Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. In Bethlehem. Bait Lechem. Bait Lechem. The house of bread. And then we have the, behold, there came wise men, or, 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 or Magi, from the east to Jerusalem. So this new section here is really the actual entrance of the Lord Jesus into earth. Now, there's certain important characters that are come onto the scene. They're going to come onto the stage here 
in chapter 2 when the sound action is called. And, and we're going to start to see these certain individuals, and it's going to be very, very clear to us their importance in what they're really foreshadowing. Now, the Lord Jesus, we, can, we see here that as he steps onto the scene on earth, immediately there's a conflict. There's a conflict, and that's really going to characterize his life. It's going to be conflict because his life is threatened. And we're going to see that he, he's going to be rejected by the rulers. He's going to be despised by them. And they know the scriptures. They know the scriptures, and they can tell others where, where the Messiah is born. But they don't really have any interest in finding the Messiah themselves. So what happens is that they treat the report that the Messiah is born like some kind of an insignificant event. It's just some kind of a, uh, uh, they're more or less, you would, you would say they were indifferent to it all. They don't care. And so we're going to see this conflict or this persecution that's going to come from two fronts on the Lord Jesus. He's going to be persecuted by the Gentile world, represented by Herod, but also there's a part of the Gentile world that's going to worship him, represented by the Magi, and then we're going to see how, how God protects him by sending him down into Egypt, where Mary and Joseph were, were told to go. And we're going to see how then he's going to be further protected in his life as we go through the book, as he's going to be kind of concealed. He's, he's going to be kind of, kind of hidden away from our view as he goes up into a very faraway place of Galilee to grow up. And this is kind of the backdrop of what's going to happen. And so right away, we're told in verse 1 that the Lord Jesus is born in Bethlehem of Judea. And there's a big point made about that. He's born in Bethlehem of Judea. As a matter of fact, there were, there were two Bethlehems. There was, uh, that's why it says in, in Judea, because there was actually the Bethlehem that we're talking about. It's part of the, the tribe of Judah, the land that Joshua gave to the tribe of Judah. And, and there's that Bethlehem in the land of Judea. There's another Bethlehem. That, that was given also by Joshua in the part of the, of the land that was given to the tribe of Zebulun, up north of Zebulun. And so these are the two Bethlehems. Now, the Bethlehem that we're talking about in Judea was so unimportant that Joshua never mentioned this Bethlehem. Whereas he did, method, did mention the other Bethlehem, the one in Zebulun. He's mentioned, that's mentioned in Joshua 19.15. Joshua 19.15. But Bethlehem of Judea, in this city of the tribe of, of Judah, was just like an unimportant place. It's actually about six miles from, more or less, five, six miles from Jerusalem. It's about a two-hour walk. If you want to walk it, be my guest. Uh, it's, not a, it's a dangerous walk because you're going to be coming into an Arab area. It's not a very nice place at all. Uh, if you've gone there, you'll know that when you get there, the, your first thought is, how soon can I get out of here? <laughs> because it's under heavy, heavy Israeli protection with the machine guns all around. It's just a dangerous place. Now, we know Bethlehem because we've seen Bethlehem in the book of Ruth because that was the place where Naomi was from. And when Naomi went back with Ruth, then it was there that Ruth married Boaz and that gave birth to Obed and, and, and he, he is the grandfather of King David. So it became a place of David's birth, Bethlehem. And so since both Mary and Joseph were of the lineage of David, that, that when Herod demanded 
that everyone returned to the city of their lineage for tax purposes. That meant they had to go back to Bethlehem. And that's why the Lord was born in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is interesting because there are just two striking characteristics about this Bethlehem of Judea. The first striking characteristic about Bethlehem is its, is its insignificance. <laughs> At this time, it's just, it's just totally insignificant. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's less significant than the city of Santee in San Diego, but it's just insignificant at that time. But the other striking characteristic about Bethlehem is that it would become so significant in the future. So these are the two important aspects about Bethlehem. It was, there was the great current insignificance of the place at that time, and then there's going to be the great future significance of the place. This is the precisely the two characteristics and the two aspects that are, are, are brought to our attention in, in this chapter by requoting prophecy about this city in the book of Micah. Micah, in his prophecy, is emphasizing the insignificance, the current insignificance of this place, Bethlehem, and the future significance of this place when he said in Micah 5.2, Micah 5.2, but thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little, as in insignificant, among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me him that is be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. See, it's going from insignificance to significance. And this is the scripture that's quoted in verse 6 of this chapter. It's Micah 5, 2. It's quoted there. And so what you can see here is when Micah says, but thou, uh, but thou, Bethlehem of Judea, uh, I mean, uh, Ephrata, that we can imagine, you know, that Micah is like, but thou, you know, Bethlehem Ephrata, and Bethlehem Ephrata is saying, who, me? I'm so insignificant. And, and we can say, we can see Micah saying, yes, you, Bethlehem, you are chosen to be significant. Now, not only was Bethlehem so insignificant as a city, I mean, it's not even mentioned. As a matter of fact, I told you it wasn't mentioned by Joshua. And then that when the Jews came back to the land under Nehemiah and Ezra, there was a part there in, in, in Nehemiah where he begins to list the cities in Nehemiah chapter 11. And again, there's no mention of Bethlehem. So it, it, it was insignificant, so significant. And, and it really... Bethlehem is like Saul, King Saul, because King Saul was humble before he became proud. And, and when so, so much, he was so humble that when Samuel went to anoint Saul, king of Israel, the record says in 1 Samuel 10, 21, 1 Samuel 10, 21, when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was taken, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. And when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further, if, a man, if the man should, should yet come thither. And the Lord said, Behold, he had hid himself in, among the stuff. So he's, he's so humble. He's hiding himself. He felt, Saul felt so insignificant that when Samuel looked for him, he was hiding. He hid himself. Now, and again, that was the real moment of you, Saul. And, and we can imagine again, Saul saying, Who, Me? 
I'm so insignificant. And Samuel said, yes, you, Saul, you will be significant. Saul, Bethlehem, you know, they're same. In the, in, the, in the beginning, they're so insignificant. In the future, they become so significant. Bethlehem is like David. Like David, you know, when they were looking for the special son of Jesse, who's going to be king after Saul. And, and Jesse was presenting all his, what he thought his significant sons. You know, everyone is passing, is coming up there. It must be him. Nope. Because David was so insignificant. And the record shows in 1 Samuel 16.8, 1 Samuel 16.8, then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse called Shammah to pass by. He said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. And again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. And, And Samuel said unto Jesse, are, are here all thy children? And he said, Oh, there remaineth yet the youngest, and, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send, fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come thither. And he sent and brought him in. He was ruddy with all of a beautiful countenance, goodly to look on. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him. This is he. So David is like the city of Bethlehem. Saul was like the city of Bethlehem. At first, so insignificant, later becomes so significant. And this is the point that's captured here in Micah 5, too. All right, now, that's why the words in verse 1, where it links the Lord Jesus to Bethlehem, they're so important. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Because this is exactly what we're going to see about Jesus, that he, like the city of Bethlehem, will at the first be so insignificant, but later, in the future, he will become so significant. And really, that's the way we see him today. We see him today, especially among the Jewish people. He's just so insignificant. And, and among the Jewish people, he's so insignificant he is. And that will change. That will change in the future when he will become so significant to them. And in Zechariah 12.10, this is all going to change. In Zechariah 12.10, when it says, where it says, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and he shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And what that, when that happens, of course, there's going to be a time there of Jacob's trouble. But when that occurs in Zechariah 13.9, this time of Jacob's trouble, it's, God says, Zechariah 13.9, I will bring the third part, this is the third part, I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name. And what name might that be? Jesus. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them, and I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. So that's when the Jewish people to see that Jesus has saved them, Jehovah Jesus has saved them from their enemies, and they're going to cry out, that's the Lord. The Lord is my God. And then he's going to have the supreme significance for the Jewish people. Okay, now, we further go on in verse 1, and it says that it speaks about Herod. It says there about Herod that he was born in the days of Herod the king. Actually, he's called Herod the Great. It's got a, he's got a history, this Herod. He's the son of a person named Antipater. And Antipater was appointed by Caesar to be ruler over this, this area about 40 years before the Lord was born. And then... And then his son Herod, you know, got this appointment also. Anyway, 
So, uh, and, and so that, that, that's Herod. He's come onto the scene of the stage here. And then the next ones that we see coming onto the stage now in verse one are these, they're called wise men from the east. There came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Very unusual group. Very unusual group comes onto the stage now. They're called wise men from the east. They're called mad guy. So the mad guy, so who are these mad guy? I mean, you know, it's, you know they're a very foreign group of men. The, 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 these were the group among the Persians, among the Medes. They were very close to the king. They cultivated astrology, medicine. Many were, they, they got involved in the occult. But it, it's, it's just amazing to see these people coming from the east to look for God because their culture did not promote the knowledge of the true God. I mean, it's, if you wanted to say... What in the New Testament could describe this group of Magi here? It'd be Ephesians 2.12. Ephesians 2.12. That at that time, ye were without Christ, without the Messiah, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now you're in Christ Jesus, who you were sometimes were afar off, so these, these, these Magi here who are coming, they're not like the norm. They're not like the norm. These Magi, they, they obviously, Magi, they were, they, they were not satisfied without God. And, and so we find them here reaching out to God. Spiritually speaking, they're stretching. They're stretching out in search of the king of the Jews. I mean, when we look at these Magi here, it teaches us nobody floats into a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Nobody drifts to God. Anyone who finds God, he finds God by reaching out, by stretching beyond their comfort zone in search of God. That's why the bumper sticker is so great that says, wise men still seek him. Now, these magi, they're identified in verse 2 simply as coming from the east. That's how they're identified. It's just they're coming from the east. Coming from the east. Well, this is how the Arabian people, this is how the Arabs are called. The Arabs are called the people from the east. I mean, you know, I don't know if you ever thought about it or not, but you pick up and you, you read the book of Job. It describes this man that God's so proud of. He shows him off. He brags about him to Satan. He look, he loves God. And then Satan says, oh, he always loves him because you gave him so much and everything. And so, so God says, all right, well, take it away, and you'll still, still see he loves God. And he goes through it, he perseveres, he loves God, he trusts God. You know, we look at Job and we say, oh, Job, what a great person he was. Exactly who was Job? Right? There's no indication that Job was a Jewish person. In fact, we're told in the third verse of the book of Job who he was. When it says in Job 1.3, Job 1.3, his substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. He's one of the men of the East. Now, he's the greatest of all the men of the East. He was an Arab. Job was an Arab. Now, I don't know if that surprises you or not, but anyway, that's the way it was. And there were others that were described as from the east. You know, when, they, when the Israelites planted their crops around the time of Gideon, and then we're told that the Amalekites and the Midianites invaded the land, 
and they took the harvest, and they came with this group. It says there in Judges 6.3, Judges 6.3. So it was that when Israel had sown, that the Midianites came up, the Amalekites, and the children of the east, even they came up against them. So this is, this is who, who the Magi are. They are from the east. They're coming from the east. But they've got this burning question in verse 2. And the question that they're asking everybody, you know, and they, you know, you can imagine they walk in and come into a Jewish community. Oh, you know, what, you're Arabs. What are you doing here? Why are you coming? And they, and, and they, you know, would you like something to drink? Would you like something to eat? No, no, no. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? That's all. And we look at that and we, and we say, what? Arabs are looking for the newborn king of the Jews? Can you imagine today? <laughs> Big group in Gaza, big group on the West Bank coming up. Where is he this born king of the Jews? You know, how do they know? How do they know about the king of the Jews? Man, how do they know? You know, we, well, we found out how they knew about the king of the Jews because it all goes back to the Babylonian captivity, to when the Jews were taken by, by Babylon as slaves, captives to the east. And during that time, the king of the people of the east had a very strange dream of an image, and, and so he called the, the dream interpreters, the, the professional dream interpreters, which were the Magi. And, and he asked them to interpret the dream, and they couldn't. So he got so angry that he ordered all the Magi to be killed. Who says the Bible's boring? <laughs> well, it just so happened that there was just one Jewish captive there named Daniel who was put in as part of the Magi. And so as they're seizing Daniel to kill him, Daniel says, what's the rush? God will give, give the interpretation of the dream. So, so Daniel comes in, he interprets the king's dream, and then in, as a reward for that, we read in Daniel 2.48, Daniel 2.48, then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief among the governors of all the, all the magim, all the wise men of Babylon. So what happened is that when that promotion happened to Daniel, he became president of, of the Magi there, that he became in charge of the Magi. And what he did is he set out, Daniel set out to really care for these people and to love these people. I mean, he purposed, Daniel purposed, to bring these magi who had never known God, he purposed to bring them to God. I mean, they were godless. And Daniel said, Daniel looks at the, the group of people he's in charge of, and they were godless, and Daniel says, not anymore. Not on my watch, is what he's saying here. I'm, I'm in charge of these magi, and my, magi, and I'm going to be, I'm gonna bring these magi to God so that they can have eternal life with me. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. 
Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Israel Restoration Ministries is excited to announce a limited time offer for our Friendship with God study Bible and hymnal. This package includes a large printed genuine lambskin leather Bible featuring over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references, maps, timelines, and frequently asked questions. In addition, you'll also receive our Friendship with God hymnal. This hymnal, the first of its kind, contains over 1,000 hymns and melodies, making it the largest collection ever printed. Included with your purchase, you'll also receive a complimentary engraving of your name on either book. For more information, visit us at friendshipwithgod.org or give us a call at 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104. 